Hey there, you're listening to Hunchback Talks. In this episode, Paul Dietman sits down with the multi-talented Matthijs Dierks. Together, they talk about making procedural music for Unexplored 2, the evolution from writing and publishing a magazine to writing a book, the harsh reality of negative reviews in the gaming industry and how it affects a product, and how to find your passion when you love to create. Enjoy the episode. Hey guys, welcome back to another Hunchback podcast. And we are here with Matthijs Dierks. Hello. Matthijs Dierks, you are a, a very interesting person. <laughs> it's uh, uh, Creatively, you have done quite a lot. So from a journalist to composer, writer, but also uh, starting a whole event and running a magazine or being founder of the magazine. I thought you were a very interesting person to talk to and dive a little deeper in where you got all this passion from and how you even manage to choose when to do something on parts of your life. Okay. <laughs> so m- maybe to start with it is because you do so much, can you maybe take us a little bit to your childhood? Is this, is the stuff that you do, like the composition, the writing of a book, like the book stack actually here, <laughs> for Dwayne about, um, is it something you always wanted to do when you were a child? <laughs> Good question. Well, one of the things that I remember very vividly when I was in um, uh, basic school, what's that in English again? Elementary school. Oh, yeah, thank you. Elementary school. Is uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I need more coffee. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I was in high school and and I had to choose what to do for. Um, uh, study yeah. and um, I had so much things I, I, I wanted to do and I couldn't pick one and then my dad said well th- there's one thing that connects everything you do whether it is uh, going to the uh, astronomers club I, I was a member of an uh, astronomy club um, or a sports club or uh, games or whatever you always write about it so I was always writing for the club magazine. And that's when I decided, okay, I can go to, uh, uh, I, I can study journalism. So I can still uh, entertain myself, so to speak, with a lot of different subjects. And so I went to uh, the school for journalism. I got my degree and then I started working. But very quickly, I ended up working for a games magazine and that was my one of my biggest passions so i could fairly quickly combine those so and then i've you know like i dove into the development of games as well wrote a lot about that and i was always making music always as a hobby mm-hmm. um but yeah that's sort of how it how it started so to speak it expanded upon worlds. So when you were writing, and that's actually a good one. So what was your dad that said, like, everything that combines what you're doing is writing? Yeah. You yeah. still want to have the dynamic to not only write about one thing. So therefore, it was. Uh, this is also how I kind of discovered you. Uh, I was <laughs> reading a lot of your reviews as a young kid. Uh, may- maybe you <laughs> even inspired me to become eventually oh a game developer. Yeah, so. Yeah. 
it's uh, it's very interesting that when we uh, when I was kind of growing older, also within the game industry, I discovered you said, oh, but yeah, I know you from the from journalism and from from all the reviews of games. Uh, but then discovered that you were a composer. Yeah, I was like, hey, uh, how did how did the writing become music writing? Um, I there's a step in between actually. All right. Um, I like to do. Um, uh, I, I'd like to put, participate in game jams. So for one game jam, I um, asked. Uh, an ind industry friend, Joris Dormant, to uh, to do together. And whilst we were uh, doing that game jam, we had a terrible group, and the game was absolutely going nowhere. And we were sitting outside, and I told Joris, "Hey, listen, I've got an idea for a game, and I think it's a it's it's a little clever puzzle thingy." So I showed him the the. A screenshot that I made, a mock-up, and I explained to him the the mechanics, and he was instantly interested. So we started working on that game whilst we were doing the other game jam. So we sort of left the group on its own, and we went do, to do something else. Anyway, that became a serious project, and um, that was the first time that I went like, okay. I'd like to write some music for this game myself. I'd like to do uh, the main theme. So um, I did that and they really liked it. And that was sort of my first um, steps as a game composer. Um, and then obviously the next projects from sort of that those groups, um, I became the go-to composer as well so from writing for games and writing reviews and stuff you rolled into the game industry did you, when you were writing um about it did you did you kind of already flirt with the thought of yes yeah yeah you, <laughs> yeah, yeah. this well um we make the dutch magazine for game developers yeah and uh i don't know if you've ever noticed but the, the amount of composers we interviewed was, you know, like ridiculously high. There were way more composers and stories about <laughs> music than there should be considering, you know, like you've got the, the, the artists and the designers and the writers and so on and so on. But I always felt, you know, this is so interesting. And, and um, I did, you know, like cover stories on, on, on soundtracks and, and, <laughs> Really, you know, like uh, interviewed so many, and I, I actually never interviewed you. I I was think I was too young, probably still. Yeah, nah. yeah. it just <laughs> it was it was kind of in the in the in the rise up because you you founded Control Magazine. Yes, yes. And uh, also attached to this was an event. We'll talk yeah. a little bit later about that. Um, so you could already see within that magazine kind of where your interests or kind of as kind of your ends. The, the one that decides what is in the magazine, where the interest is. Yeah, yeah. I've done, but, well, I I, um, I made that magazine together with uh, uh, my partner uh, at that time, uh, uh, Eric uh, Bartelson. Uh, he was the editor-in-chief and I was a publisher, but we sort of uh, wrote um, the magazine together. Sometimes we hired some freelancers 
but I was always pushing for for uh, <laughs> stories on music. Yeah, that's beautiful. Uh, I love that. Like for me, it's always a combination between music and the game industry as well. So uh, uh, that's what we have in common. That we always have that that flirt with both, and that to bring those worlds together, it's of course a, a beautiful match. Um, then you uh, you wrote. So you you were in the game jams. So yeah, for, yeah. Can you maybe tell the people that hear the word game jam for the first time to say what can you expect from a game jam? What what, what is it? What well, do I have to think about. A typical game jam lasts, for instance, uh, 48 hours. And in that 48 hours, you develop a small game. It's always a small project uh, with four or five people. And you make something that's playable uh, in the end. And you forego every sane idea about game development. You just, you know, like, we want to have something playable within two days. So the code isn't very neat and... The music isn't implemented uh, the right way, but it works. It's just having fun. Don't worry about technical issues. And that's why they call it jamming. You know, like um, when musicians jam, they don't think about, oh, how should we record this? No, no, just you know, like we're trying to come up with something cool, with something new. And that's what you do during a game jam. It's it's yeah it's a, it's it's the different uh, disciplines of game development jamming together. It's really uh, the the start of an indie developer uh, wearing many hats just to get the job done. Yeah, yeah. To make sure that you have a playable kind of and as many disciplines as possible. So interesting enough, you say I wanted to write the music, but it's also the idea came from that game jam, right? Yeah, yeah. And then you wrote the music for it because you need to wear many hats and try to make yourself as useful as possible within uh, 48 hours or sometimes even shorter. It depends like how long the game gym is. And then you end up with a full game, unexplored. And how did it go from game jam to doing well, a... F the, no, no, no. The, 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 the game I was talking about, the, the first one that was called, uh, that's called Sumiko, which is yeah. a, um, uh, a puzzle game. Um, it, it's still available on Android, by the way. Um, Unexplored was really yours's project. He, he was messing around with procedural content generation. And he is really, really good at it. He's, you know, like a world-renowned expert on, on that subject. So he had this roguelike procedurally uh, generated, um, and, and it was really fun to play instantly you know like he, he only worked uh, on it for a couple of weeks and that's when i sat down with him it's like okay let's talk music and he told me yeah okay let's try <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm i made something and he was instantly very very uh, enthusiastically about it and so that became um slowly that became my job and especially with unexplored 2 we we had funding we had a publisher and um that whole process took you know like uh i think four or five years yeah and that was a <laughs> that was a long long time yeah and during that process in in finding the sound for a game like that um do you get like an instant hit do you do you find the sound palette right away or how does that originate well, with, with Unexplored 1, that was kind of, yeah, that was instant. But Joris himself 
isn't the most critical of persons on an, in, in this regard. So for Unexplored 2, we had this whole team and it was uh, some sort of a, a democracy and everybody <laughs> had something to say also on the music. And I've, that, that was, uh, that was not a very fun process, to be honest. I, I, I would, um, well, would, I am doing that differently now. Um, it's, I, it, it was me trying to produce something that other people, that I thought that other people would want to hear, not something specifically that I thought would be a great fit with the game. And that was because, you know, like I was in my 40s, but this was at the beginning, an, a new beginning of, a, of an entirely new career. So I didn't have the confidence to say, this is how it should sound. Um, so I was trying a lot and really discovering that talking about music is very difficult because it's sort of talking about feelings and everybody uses a completely different vocabulary and it's, it's you know no it, it should sound like this and then they they showed you they 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 sent you a song a track and you go like ah, that's 100 percent synthesizers okay well <laughs> let, let, let's try something with synthesizers and then you send that back and they go like why is it all synthesizers you just <laughs> Bloody sent me a synth track. No, no, I I meant the atmosphere, the melodies. Oh my god, yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> I finally got sort of frustrated, and I and I went like, no, okay, I, now I'm gonna forget everything, everyone has said, and I'm gonna just make something that I think is the best fit for this game, and also something that I know I can do, which is an orchestral sound, a real orchestral sound, and then this this really uh, melodic sound, this um, sort of what I like to call it, a, a Japanese orchestral sound, you know, like the Ghibli feel, um, the Final Fantasy kind of inspired music. So I did that, and everybody was like, holy shit, this is it, this is great. And the publisher was over the moon with it, and I know we had we had several difficult moments during development, and there was one moment where the publisher really wasn't pleased with the progression, and so we had to come up with this demo, um, and that demo gave us an extension, and we could continue development, and we got this feedback. And he was still very critical in every bit, but there was this couple of sentences about the music that were like, ah, oh, this is, this is uh, near release quality. This is great. This is how the whole game should be. This is perfect. But, <laughs> and, and he went on for a couple of, 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 of uh, lines. And I was, oh, okay. <laughs> so I did my thing. <laughs> so yeah, that, that, that was basically how we got to the, to the sound of, of Unexplored 2. And when you approach this, so you say, okay, I'll let everything go, all the feedback and what everybody wanted, all the democracy or just something that you thought was great. How did you approach this? Was it that you say, I want to give music to what the player should feel? Or was it more in the likes that you say, now I want to reach 
life into this world? Or do you want it to be from the perspective of the player? You know, there's many approaches mm -hmm. that you can say, hey, I want it to be an internal emotion. Um, maybe the narrative is saying this, or maybe the gameplay is showing this, but I want to be somewhere in between. What did you try to provoke with writing the soundtrack for this? The, um, I think there are two different parts of uh, to that answer, and, and the first one is the main theme. So the, the music that plays when you open when you open the game, the, the, the menu music, so to speak. And to me, that's such an important part of the whole experience of the game. And I really wanted to sort of take the player and put him in this uh, fantastic fantasy world, in this sort of dreamy-like mood. Um, it, it, has to, it had to be music that really would be able to transport the player to that place with music very much like i feel when i start you know like a final fantasy game or um or, or well it's it's not as much uh, mo movies is really different because the theme is all, uh, most of the times is you know like it's being built up during phases and then in the end you get the whole theme um unless it's Star Wars or Indiana Jones. Well, that, that, actually, that's a, that's a very good example. That's what Star Wars is doing is you open with the main theme, and that's how you do it, in, in my opinion, how you do it in, in, in games. And I really felt that the main theme does that job. I'm not saying perfectly, but it does do it very well. And then for the rest of the game, it was um, it, it was a bit different. Um, I don't want to go already too much in depth about adaptive music, but it, it was sort of keep keep the player in that kind of mood. So the uh, the opening theme is is this heavy hitter. This this very recognizable, clear melody, and then the in-game music should sort of um, keep the player in that mood, but more subtle. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and and then we had villages, and then every village was linked to a clan, and I gave every clan or elder. Um, game speak um, th their own theme their own melody and it, 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 we we also had some more ideas they didn't come to fru fruition but the whole idea was that um, when you discovered something that was uh, part of a certain elder then you heard a, a very little bit of that melody and then that would grow and then when you met you know, like the statue or whatever it was that melody would then you know, like uh, play full, and and then you would oh yeah well this is the melody that belongs to this kind of elder, um, but we never use it in, in, in that way. So it's not. Some people say you you make the the main theme and you make a remix of that main theme, 
and you spread that over your whole movie soundtrack or game soundtrack. It's, w- it, was that essentially what you did? Or are you saying, no, 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 I actually take these clans as its own team with a little yeah, bit of a hinge yeah, to? Yeah, th- they all have their own theme, and which is musically very different and sometimes with completely different instruments as well. Um, and then other in-game music sometimes sort of hinted to the the main theme. I think I wrote... Um, you know, like six or eight very recognizable themes that I sometimes mixed and matched in in different songs. So did you write everything in the same key? No. <laughs> okay. No. So, but if you mix if you if you mix them together, uh, that, I'm not sure. We, 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 I'm kind of going already to the adaptive music parts <laughs> a little bit. No, 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 no. I I meant with mix and match is is um. Sometimes I just, you know, like use a bit of the main theme yeah. as basis for a new track. Okay. Uh, but then that's you know, like just a melody, hmm. maybe even with a different bass line or um, or completely different key. So that, that that's what I meant with a mix and match. Okay. I thought mixing in kind of, oh, maybe you use a little bit of those instrument loops to mix it with another piece no. of music. But then again, so it this is in a procedural. It is adaptive. And of course, if you write for film, this is all in sync. So you see, yeah. let's say the, the movie is one uh, to two hours, then the music will be synced to that. Yeah. You can really... Make sure that everybody that goes through the roller coaster, they're going to hear the same thing. They're going to see the same thing because you dedicate that. But with games, it's a little bit different, and especially if it's more procedural because yeah, you don't yeah, know what's yeah. going to happen. Yeah. So you can't really time the music right. How do you approach this as a composer? Yeah, it, lots of headaches. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. And and I, I remember myself saying uh, a couple of months ago, I'm never ever going to work on a procedural project again. So yesterday I said yes to, uh, <laughs> okay. to music for uh, for a new procedural project. Uh, but the thing is, uh, this is how we approach it. Um, so in game, you've got the villages; those are safe, and to me, those were. Uh, safe havens as well because I could just you know like put regular music in there I sort of make a playlist when you come into uh, a village uh, a certain tune starts playing and after a while a, a different one and then a different one but 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 that's fine in the field you don't know what's going to happen just as she said so the player can you know like just wonder around or he can be you know like victorious solve a, a puzzle or a beat an enemy or you know like almost die or whatever <laughs> so what we did is um then i i, I wrote a, a, like a four or five minute basic track and that laid down the atmosphere the kind of atmosphere I was uh, talking about earlier, you know, like the the sort of a dreamy, fantasy-like kind of music, sort of Lord of the Ringsery, <laughs> um, and it, it was sort of a, a balancing act because that basic track should be strong enough on its own without any additions. 
But when the player is, like, for instance, in danger, we add an additional layer. And uh, that could be, for instance, uh, a percussion, but not always. It's, uh, I try to do that as much musically as possible. So uh, adding, for instance, uh, really uh, uh, a cello, uh, cello staccato underneath and um, something that, that looked like an innocent melody is suddenly this, this, you know, like very dense music. And only when the player is in danger, for instance, we fade in an additional layer. And that additional layer is an additional, literally an additional layer of music. And for instance, when the player is in danger, we fade in uh, staccato cellos. And then this innocent sounding atmospheric track suddenly is this really tense music. And it, we can also do it the other way around. So I wrote on top of the basic layer some you know, like uh, very happy uh, solo violin, for instance, and you can fade that in the moment that the player is doing very well. But um, it, it was really difficult getting that uh, great enough, good enough to actually work because when you add something, uh, for instance, when you add tension, to a track, and that track is four minutes. You have to add four minutes of suspense or tension because uh, you never know when that layer is going to be faded in uh, and faded out. But at the beginning, we were like, yeah, but when the player is doing not very well for those four minutes, you get four minutes of tension music and that was really annoying. That that was you know like I, I musically you cannot solve that. So we had to find out. Okay, we can use this tension for ten or twenty seconds maximum, and then we have to fade it out, and then we have to wait for an additional at least an, an additional twenty or thirty seconds to fade it back in. So it was a lot of. A back and forth between me and the programmers before and and the des, uh, game designers before it, it worked um, well enough for us. You know, like okay, this is how it should work. But it's 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 difficult. Yeah. Have you seen a let's player play it back and just something happening with music? We're like, ah, I I didn't actually anticipate <coughs> on something like this. I, this is happening now, but I, I never really anticipated a player would wait that long or would hang that long. Like, did you discover something on the adaptive wave music where you're like, hmm, that's uh, something I would do different in the next project? Um, yeah. Uh, sometimes um, it wasn't as much in the music as well as the way we implemented the music. Uh, sometimes the when something is happening to the player and it's clearly going well and then the music changes it's very clear that the music changes because he's doing well and, and that's fine 
but sometimes because the game isn't very clear always it doesn't communicate very well so sometimes players didn't know that they did something very well mm. and then the music changed and then they were like something is happening what's <laughs> happening am i in danger that's no no that's that's the reward music what which is <laughs> <laughs> okay. so w w when there was w when the music changed and the players didn't know why that was confusing to the player so uh, i wouldn't do that differently musically the next time i would try and have the designers and the programmers implement it slightly different right i think uh Shander in deliver us the moon and marsh we have this reward sounds every time that you solve a puzzle there is this melody playing or in the last one it's kind of a sound just to make sure that people know hey, you, you're, you're done here. Uh, but you could also do it with a switch of music. Uh, but I, I can understand that maybe some people are like, oh, there's now something going down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, you also did a, uh, a talk about how to make your soundtrack sounds bigger than the budgets. Yeah, yeah, but that's... that's <laughs> and what, what, can you, what can you say about it? It was at the, the Dutch game... Uh, day, I believe it was. Yeah. Uh, paired with uh, the Dutch Game Awards, and you did a long talk for this. Yeah, I've done that talk a couple of times now, and yeah, th th this is this is a bit awkward <laughs> to me because this is way more your special specialization. But it's interesting to see that um, I felt I was taking a risk with that talk. You know, like everybody knows how this works. Yeah. And I never got so much. Uh, uh, feedback and so many people say, oh, this was so interesting. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, we didn't <laughs> know how it works. <laughs> and um, so I just basically showed them what we do as composers and how a virtual, um, uh, virtual orchestra really works. And, you know, like adding uh, big choirs to it and how that and 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 you know like the the, the brass coming in and you know, the, all all the ostinato strings and then play together and then you know like sitting in the audience and suddenly you have this wall of music coming <laughs> at you and I, I literally showed them my workstation the the, the screen the uh, doll as we call it and the notes I was uh, writing and then layer for layer, how we build uh, something like that. And also to show uh, other game developers that you know, like, if you want an orchestral soundtrack, that's not necessarily a hundred thousand euros uh, from your budget because yes, professional. It sorry. could be. It could it be. It could be. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Depends uh, how far you want to take it. Yeah. Uh, it, whenever you can work with a real orchestra, always do it. Go always. It. Yeah. But um, you know, like professional musicians will hear the difference, definitely. But if you only have, you know, like some soloists, you know, like a cello or a violist uh, who you record live, and then the rest is from your uh, virtual orchestra, most players, like 95%, will not notice the difference. Not only because it, uh, a virtual orchestra can be really lifelike, but it's underneath 
the rest of the soundscape. Yeah. It's underneath uh, all the interactivity. Uh, the player isn't just paying attention to the music. The music is there to enhance the experience. So to have that uh, orchestral, in some cases, is like it can really add to the experience of uh, of the game as a whole. Yeah, it's very result driven. So if you say the result is or this is what we want to achieve, and sometimes what you're saying is right. Like if you want to aim on that five percent, that maybe here's that bigger part that's a uh, very expensive 5%. Yeah. If you want to reach the audience before that, um, you can actually mimic that a lot with virtual instruments. And yeah. it doesn't have to cost that much to get there. So yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Do you have the feeling, and you're giving this talk at a, a game convention. So um, of course, there's not only composers in the it's not a composer or a music. No, the, the, so, there were a few composers uh, in, in in the audience as well. I think you all know them, but yeah. And is and is do you believe that the game industry, uh, or mostly maybe a very generic thing, is that they have to be educated about this? Do you think they are not aware of the possibilities that music may hold? Yeah, yes, even more so uh, after I did that talk because mm -hmm. apparently it was news to many people and i was uh, a bit surprised by that um and also a lot of game directors don't care too much about music not all of them know the importance of music um you know a lot of them do but some of them it's like oh yeah shit, we need music <laughs> So we've got two months. Can we call someone? Um, what? It's the, the the number of zeros is correct. Do we have to pay them more than a hundred euros? It's like come on. So um, n not only do they need to take music seriously, they need to do. Uh, they need to involve their composers way earlier in the process uh, because it's a two-way street. The music also sort of informs some aspects of game design. Um, and they should be aware of the possibilities. You know, like, um, you could go orchestral with a smaller budget, but you also could, you know, like have a mix. Um, and there's just a lot more possible. And it, but you know, like, start with music from the moment you make your budget. If you, and, and, and you get this online nonsense, you're like, yeah, 5% for the audio is a great budget. <laughs> no, maybe when you're making a AAA game with thousands of people working on it, then 5% is fine. But in general, look at you know, like 15, 20%. Yeah, for maybe a trailer, let's say a trailer has been made for a million, and you say 10%, 20% for the music, then that's great. You're doing pretty well. But if you say 5% from an indie budget and there's almost nothing, then it's, it's in, you can't survive from that. No, 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 definitely not. And, and, and also, um, especially if you have games with a long play time, that procedurally generated 
um, games, well, the, the games themselves are not procedurally generated, but with procedurally generated levels and worlds. Would be nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, 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 they tend to have a very long play time. So, uh, um, so I, I know of, you know, like, on Export 1 and 2 are games that some people play for hundreds of hours. If you put in, you know, like, 30 or 45 minutes of music, that's, that gets repetitive really quickly. So you need you know, like a lot of music as well. And um, I don't think uh, enough game directors realize how super annoying music can be when it becomes uh, repetitive. Um, so also the amount of music is very important as well and how you implement it and stuff like that. But you know, like you can't say we're gonna make a, a game that's being played for you know, like a hundred hours, and we've got twenty five hundred euros for the music. That's 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 insane. That's just really stupid. That's. But you do have to educate a couple of them. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, it's a big experience. Music. For me and for our games, like we we love it so much yeah. that we say we need to marry those two, the visual and music. It's it's a very important. It's very important to to get you into the atmosphere to yeah. kind of make yeah. you forget the corners of the screen. Yeah. So I, yeah. it's funny enough for me, it always came natural that that was a very important thing in in media production, entertainment productions like we do. Um, so I never really was aware that people needed to be educated now because it became so natural to me. Yeah, I, uh, yeah but you are a musician and y you have been creating music for such a long time. So, so that's, that's where you come from. But imagine people, uh, sometimes I've worked with people who um, don't even, you know, like turn up the sound when they turn on the sound when they play a game. Yeah. Not just for testing purposes, but you know, like watching YouTube videos whilst playing a game. Yeah. So imagine with that mindset, developing a game. Why would we need audio anyway? <laughs> and it's like, oh yeah, but that's people aren't playing games like that. Like with a with an online card game, you know, like a, a Magic: The Gathering or a Hearthstone. People tend to, you know, like. A video next to it i get that but it's still important but you know like with deliver us mars for instance you don't play that game and watch uh, a youtube video next to it that wouldn't make sense we needed to whitelist kind of the monetization on the soundtrack on all channels because most streamers are afraid they get copyright claims yeah and we said now the music is so important to the experience. We rather kind of want to lose money on it and whitelist all the music for all the Let's Players, uh, people on Twitch, yeah. people on YouTube to put on the music and not just have a royalty-free music playing while playing the game. Uh, still some streamers or YouTubers, they still have that in their brain that this is how it goes. So they automatically do it. So I can see that that can be blurring the the ID of game developers saying, yeah, people will put their own music anyway because of this royalty system. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but interesting. I'm, I actually never thought about it like that. Uh, I, I remember Twitch having, you know, like all these issues and yeah. 
YouTube sometimes as well. But I've always felt it's, it's you know, like, sometimes it's so clear, this is the soundtrack of this game, so we will never, ever, you know, like, uh, <laughs> give you a copyright strike. But, but these... It, it depends. I, I, yeah. It depends how you publish it. So if you yeah, okay. publish the soundtrack on a certain way, you have all these aggregators in between. They claim the music, even if it wasn't the intention of of us or a label or a publisher or the game developer. Uh, sometimes these automatic systems they claim it, and nobody knows where it comes from if you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. So it that can block people from knowing. Uh, and if they continue that, then we learn each other. And we, or we we teach each other the wrong thing there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then we have a result is that maybe people don't understand yet how important music is. Yeah, yeah. Because people switch it off constantly. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll get there. I think yeah. I, I have a, I have a bright future in mind. <laughs> it's actually pretty depressing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but uh, but then again, like so, you release the game, and of course, people are gonna react on it, and you see it from a development perspective, but also on the music perspective. How would you deal with negativity and negative comments about it? Um, well, <laughs> we had to learn quickly <laughs> uh, because the w when the game released, people didn't like it. We worked on it for five years and I, I had this really mixed reaction uh, myself. The, it was a sort of... Um, it, it, it was really different to have the it, it was really weird to have these two completely opposite feelings simultaneously mm -hmm. so on the one hand all not well not all but a lot of reviewers were talking about the music they really liked the music uh, also um i this streamer who just opened the game and then shut up for a minute and a half to let the main theme finish and then sort of, oh my God, that music. And, and I was like, <laughs> ah, that, that was really cool. So people really liked the soundtrack. I got so many compliments about it. And, and, and still in the Steam reviews, everybody's talking about the, the art style and the music and how they work together very well. Um, but the game itself didn't do very well and people weren't enjoying it. And it's still being worked on, and it's 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 doing better. And you know, like, the whole launch was really weird because the publisher died a week and a half before the game launch, so the publishing company was closed down during launch. We didn't get any uh, support. The biggest PC gaming publication in the world got uh, the wrong build to play. So they reviewed an old build. So we we launched with a 5.9 on PC from PC Gamer, and the the game still buggy, and there the were many issues with it. So on the one hand, I was pleased that people really liked the music. On the other hand, it's like yeah, but the music isn't selling the game. It's sort of making people consider to buy the game if they if they look at the trailers if they uh, look at some uh, gameplay footage but when other gamers aren't telling e each other ah oh, this is great and and really enjoying this game it falls flat and that is what happened so after five years the game didn't fly and that was very painful and that was and and uh, also, 
that was reflected, for instance, in the number of plays of my music on Spotify, for instance. I watched, you know, like I, I talked to other composers and some of them make music for um, a really successful game. And they were like, yeah, it's not my best music, but it got you know, like a million plays each month purely because of the fact that the game itself was successful. Yeah. And so many people are playing the game. So many people are listening to the soundtrack outside of the game as well. And um, I feel like, yeah, I'm sort of missing out on that because the game itself didn't do very well. It may be in the future because uh, developers are still working on it, still trying to improve on it. Um, <clears throat> But, you know, like it, it was really mixed. It was really, really mixed. You know, like, very proud of, the, of that soundtrack. Um, very disappointed in how the game was res received. What is strange is we made a game, uh, one is around six hours, other game is around 10 hours. And you can see, uh, for reviewers, especially on Steam, how long people have played. But with a procedural generated game you could lose hours so i saw with your game people had like hundreds yeah. of hours in it yeah and what's really uh, is very understandable to me when people play it for more than 100 hours or even 50 and if they would give it a thumbs down i'm thinking what have you done the last 50 hours <laughs> yeah. or even hundreds yeah like but but that's <laughs> well we talked to a couple of these people because it's just like we literally, uh, I think it was last month, some guy played for 160 hours and he insane. Uh, gave us gave us a thumbs down on Steam. And and for people who don't know it on Steam, the, the biggest platform for PC games, your average score is the most important one. Yeah, That's sort of, you know, like at least 50% of people deciding to whether to buy your game or not. So this guy, um, we asked him like, why? <laughs> you know, how, how 150 hours? Turns out that um, he was very angry, and I think rightfully so, because he, he was in a certain run, as you call that. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he had this generated world in which he spent over 20, 25 hours. And then that world broke because something that he needed for a, a, to finish a quest didn't spawn. And we can always fix that. But he maybe he didn't know or anything. But you have to contact the developers and you have to send us the, the save game and we can fix it so he can continue. But for him, he, he felt like I've lost 30 to... 20 or 30 hours of my life and I cannot continue now. So F you developers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm got So uh, th th sort of imagine playing Deliver Us um, the Moon and Mars and then not being able to finish the game because of a bug. Yeah. And also because it's generated, that bug may be only appear in your game or, yeah. or in, in your world so you're not even confident that it's going to be fixed in a way 
the person is saying, I really love it so much. I yeah. just wanted to work and I yes. want to be longer in this atmosphere without yeah. being set back that way. Yeah. We we did have something similar in, in the first release we did. We opened or we had an open ending uh, just simply because we, we couldn't finish it. Uh, also with a, um, a publishing deal that really didn't end too well. Uh, and we were kind of, it was a necessity to release the game with an open ending. And people loved it so much they kind of did, really didn't like that they became so emotionally involved and then kind of left off with this huge cliffhanger uh, that it really didn't like it. But asking how, for how, more. How did you solve that in the end? Did you, were you able to solve that? We, we did. So I, I believe the, the first day after that, we saw it already after the first day of releasing that there's too many people that say we feel a little cheated. So uh, I think we... I promised the whole community to say we are finishing the game. You just have you have to give us a little bit more time as an indie developer to yeah. finish it, and then everybody that bought the game get gets it for free. And that was, uh, yeah, people were patient with us. And okay. okay, okay, let's give and, the and, guys and a chance. That that was also um, possible budget wise. Th that was something to figure <laughs> out, <laughs> and we we did figure it out. Okay, okay, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that's uh, that's the, the tough thing that you don't see, I think, as a consumer. When you listen to music or you play games, you uh, I see sometimes like the developers must be crazy for not putting these things in. And most of the time, the intention is, of course, we would love to create yeah. all these things. But then there's something as the real world and, and you have to pay people for everything. And um, the intention will always be there. Like, I think we are in media, music and games not to make people mad. No, it, we no, want people to give a no, good time, right? <laughs> no, no, that's, it's it's really cr crazy sometimes how how gamers think, and sometimes <laughs> you you cannot blame them. Sometimes a feature that is really difficult may seem very easy to develop and implement, but sometimes they're just you know like sometimes they just don't think. <laughs> they they downvote the game because they like it but want us to continue working on it to uh, uh, clear out all the bugs. And I'm trying very friendly to explain to these people, downvotes almost always translate into less sales. Less sales means less budget to work on the game. Yeah. So you literally are achieving the opposite of what you want to achieve, yeah, uh, and it's 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 almost impossible to explain it. It's it's uh, well, it's very it's easy very to explain, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's sometimes very difficult to convince them. Yeah, it's it's hard to convey <laughs> that information. That the result that they're hoping for is being destroyed by their own action. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, it's it's good. I think it's it's something that people have to know when when they are looking into games and. We had it as well, of course, if you have an indie game, there's maybe you're not Ubisoft. So when you shoot your negative comments there, then probably will be lost in a pool of comments. Yeah. If you do it with a smaller company, uh, most definitely we read it. Yeah. And some people yeah. do that as well. And negative energy gets attention. So I've also seen that people just drop negative energy or a negative comments just to get the conversation rolling, just to not feel alone. And I thought that was that's a very sad discovery that I had as well. I was like, oh, this is not so much that they don't like the game, but know that they will have an interaction 
they will have been been taken care of. They will yeah. be considered in like helping out and yeah. maybe not to feel alone. And I thought yeah. that's also a way to do it, but it's yeah. uh, it's not helping out. It's kind of asking the wrong energy. And that's what we did as well. When we got a lot of positive comments, happily, uh, I said as well, we need to give as much time to the people that are positive than are being negative. Th I, I think that's a very good point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, did you manage to, uh, what we call, flip some of the reviews by responding to them, the, the negative reviews? If sometimes people are just giving a negative review because something technical didn't work and you help them and they're after, so first day they wish you that. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. after you fix it, they said the game is awesome. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's um, yeah, it's something that you have to discover, and you have to do that with releasing your own game or even your own album, and just to to see why people say these things. And sometimes it's very, something very stupid. Yeah, it's like ah, oh, you fix it. It wasn't a frustration, and a frustration. You're not talking to people face to face. There's no face to a product like that. So this is the way to convey, hey, I have a hard time with something. Help me out. Yeah. And that comes over as extremely rough, even to uh, to wish upon that. <laughs> and you can flip that easy by saying, oh, here here's the solution. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I love the game. Yeah. This has been an amazing yeah. ride. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, I, I, the thing is that, that Unexplored 1 is still um, slightly above a 90% positive. And Unexplored 2 is now at, I think, 75%. That may not sound bad, but um, you you basically want to be north of eighty, yeah, uh, because then you get this very positive rating. Um, the thing is, seventy five is nice if you had a good launch, and a lot of people have you know like bought the game, yeah. But seventy five in combination with a very bad launch is you know like very detrimental to to the game and um i was you know like i was really used to to you know everything i did was always well, obviously not every everything but you know like with the magazine and 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 the conferences and the first games and you know like everything was most of the times rated in like an 8 out of 10 or a 9 out of 10 and this suddenly wasn't and this was the biggest one of the biggest things I've worked on in my life. Yeah. So that was something I had not anticipated. And it was, it, it's still, um, I'm, I'm not saying it's traumatic, but it, it did have a, a bit of an impact on my life as well. Very simple because we, we uh, accepted, you know, like lower salary for four or five years to be able to make this. Um, and with the idea of, you know, like after four or five years when we finished the game, we got a, a nice chunk of the royalties. Yeah. And we have, you know, like we are go going to get compensation financially in the end. Yeah. And we didn't. Yeah, that's, hard. that's, a, that's a hard reality, of yeah. course. Yeah. And it's, uh, so I think a lot of people, they buy the game or what they see outside. Even on IMDb, if you score above a six, you're doing really well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. A, a, a seven and a half is great. Like, uh, what do you complain about? But yeah, indeed, it's good to say that Steam has this 
overwhelmingly positive or mostly positive or mixed or yep. and that's very important for people to just i think for the people listening in they they judge as well they they watch a movie they check ah it gets a 4.1 hmm, maybe skip this one very bad of course for a movie like that yeah. or yeah when you can compare let's say a game is 20 euros uh, you compare it to another game that scores higher and you probably go for that one uh so that is a little bit of a battle of the scores doesn't per se have to reflect the game it depends a little bit on what your opinion is or what your genre is yeah yeah um but yeah i think it's good to share something like that that it's uh, a more rougher reality than people might think behind yeah. their computer screen mm. downvote <laughs> yeah 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 i i never downvote anything i've never commented uh, on uh, anything uh, I, <laughs> I did it once oh no <laughs> yeah it, it, it was a, a table tennis game in vr <laughs> which i really really loved and i upvoted it and i was really you know like into it yeah and then they changed something that uh, they added a, a multiplayer option which was great but you know i i got that when you're in vr and something is happening that you don't want and yeah. i got you know this ping somebody wants to play with you table tennis yeah. and then the <laughs> ping ping and i was looking through the options like how can i turn this off and i couldn't so on the forum uh, i asked like how can i turn the, this off and i didn't get a reply yeah and uh in the end i was like you're not replying to me now it's to me it's unplayable so i'm gonna downvote it and say it's like it's a great game but i don't i cannot find the option to turn off these 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 annoying uh, uh features tell me and i'll you know like i'll flip it never got a reply and i've never understood that it must have been an option in the game and it would have been you know, like login answer and that's it so you did use the same psychology yeah to I just hope realized. to yeah. hope yeah yeah for a fix and probably yeah. now it scored so but low there, but there, no 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 there's this this one one huge difference okay because I'm, I'm i'm just listening to myself am i that the, the, the You're stupid the, this, the stupid player is like, but is that this no there's more than one difference okay just to defend myself here yeah. for a bit uh which is that game uh was one of the best selling vr games uh at least in the vr games around okay so they were doing financially very 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 well okay they, they didn't have you know like a hundred uh, reviews or something they did have in the tens of thousands of re reviews then you saw you know like a lot of copies and i only did that after i was trying to reach the developers a couple of times yeah and they didn't reply and we uh we always try to direct people from steam to a place where we can actually interact which is discord but anyway we always try to interact with complaints yeah and i was literally ignored now I, I think that there is an a good point like if you can do this as an indie like a small team then 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 a big team like that with kind of a financially come on yeah like it's it, then, then it's arrogance to hire a community manager yeah no and and the, the same thing like we are we are growing as a studio uh, but we are still relatively small if you compare it to triple a 
and if we do some things more than that, that that's confusing to me. Like, is it the generational thing or w- why is it that a bigger company couldn't handle comments yeah. like that? So yeah. in, in that sense, like, yeah, I think if you are on that level and also if you're on that level of success, then maybe it's a little bit more expected, right? Uh, yeah. Going yeah. to a Michelin star a restaurant. Um, I'm not saying that you should be in uh, an asshole to somebody. Not at all. Like never, no, yeah. never be. But I understand that if you put the the quality bar so high and you're asking a certain amount of money for it, that people also expect something in return for it. Yes, but and and maybe there's another difference as well, which is we are in this industry. Yeah. We see the difference between the studios making, you know, like the Ubisoft games and, you know, the games we work on. Yeah. Um, but maybe a lot of gamers don't. And maybe they don't care. Maybe they think, oh, this game apparently is only 20 or 25 euros, which is way better than the 60 or 70 euros I'm paying. But they don't necessarily make the connection with oh that must mean it's a smaller team uh so it's going to be more impactful when i downvote this game or when i talk about it in a certain fashion i'm not sure that they necessarily make that connection i agree i think that we we have made our game 29.99 since we have graphically we are edging on kind of like what is this this is this is not really indie anymore it's also not triple a but then again if we will be 60 or 70 bucks then you would instantly be on the same uh on the same level as as triple a so then people will compare it to it uh or you could say this is a triple a game um but they just price it lower just to be disruptive or something so it it is hard like we in a way you, you want to have um, you want to be criticized on, or you 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 have the ambition to be as high as that. But you want to be criticized on a on a different level. But, but this is this is something that we struggled with so much, and I know of a couple of other uh, developers as well. And music is also playing a part in this. When you, uh, for the people who haven't seen Unexplored Two, it's um, uh, it looks a bit like a Mobius uh, comic. Which is uh, it? It looks as uh, as if it's hand drawn. It really looks great. That's it awesome. looks amazing, and I think you know, like combined with the orchestral soundtrack, you you have something that looks and sounds very very good. However, the animation, the direct interaction with um, with the character, the rest of the gameplay. Is not on par, so that was very difficult to communicate. You know, like this may sound and look like a Nintendo polished kind of game, but it plays like you know, like really an indie game, and it's rough yeah. around the edges. And that disconnect is something one of the many problems that we never managed to solve. It's hard because if you are doing it the Dutch way, you are underselling everything but then again if you market your game you should never undersell it you no. should also not oversell it though so there, there is no. a comparison but this is a very hard definition if you don't oversell it then a lot of people are starting to undersell it 
So what is the middle way to say yeah. you want you want to of course sell something that you really make, right? Um, but you also want it to be in the spotlight on why you how you want to be judged or how what the criteria should be. Um, yeah, this, this is really tough. How, yeah, how you, you would you frame also, it? Yeah, you you would also want to manage expectations. Yeah. I mean, I know it was an issue for us. I know it's uh, an issue for you sometimes. Um, there's this game called the Falconeer, made yeah. by uh, uh, somebody we know very well, Thomas Sala. He did that almost all by himself. Yeah. Not the music. He hired someone. A, a, a great soundtrack, by the way. But he had that same problem as well because he is an artist. Uh, his his core skill is uh, being an artist, yeah. and that game looked so incredibly amazing. But people had um, had to adapt sort of to his ideas for the gameplay. So and 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 he I remember very well having a discussion. Uh, with him about uh, with Thomas about the Falconeer and he is like I'm don't want to you know like sell this game as an indie or promote this game as an indie yeah. because it's we're beyond that and at that point I felt that he had a good, very good point but now I'm thinking more and more no maybe we should lean into it more maybe we should tell people more and more this is you know like a small team Deliver Us Mars is, a, is this great game made by a small team. So don't expect, you know, like animations and visuals really on that level. You you would see it differently if you see the Falconeer was made by a 20-man team. Um, you're like, okay, if, if you hear it's one one man, then the, the whole achievement becomes completely different. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so I think marketing-wise, I think you should never undersell, but maybe... To, to an extent, educate, and you could say, who cares, right? People play the game, people play yeah. Yeah, music, yeah, yeah, and, and who cares where it came from? It should just be good. Yeah. Um, still, I think if you buy something at a budget shop, then I'm not expecting all the functionalities to work forever. Uh, although if I buy it in a high-end shop, I do expect a little bit more from it. So yeah. it does bring things in perspective. Yeah. Hey, and then from games, and of course, with your background in writing, you went for a book. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and we have it here. <laughs> and then uh, I was uh, uh, privileged enough to be at the, the release of your book. Um, how how did that get go from being a journalist to, or maybe it was always intertwined? It's, it's something that w for the outside wasn't seen. So it's kind of like you're stepping in all these kind of disciplines. It's it's. A it's comparable how I started into music. Um, you know, like always making music in the evening beside or next to the other work I was doing. And with writing, it, it's, it was really kind of similar. Um, obviously, I'm, a, I'm an avid reader. I've been reading science fiction and fantasy all my life. And... I dabbled into writing fiction every now and then. And this was, you know, like the sixth or seventh book I began. And um, some of them reached chapter two and some of them, you know, like 25 or even 60 chapters. And then I decided, no, I'm, it's, 
I'm going to kill it or <laughs> leave it alone. So at, with this one, I felt like um, this is the one I'm going to finish. I remember vividly reading the first two chapters to my son, who I think was 10 years old or 11 at the time. And at the end, he was crying because of something that happened to the character. And I was like, if I can do that, apparently, with my writing, oh my God, that, that was such a rush to me that was, you know, like, oh, th this is so powerful. And th the opening didn't end up in the book, but had it remained a, a real, you know, like this m motivational moment I can reach these people with, um, I can reach people with, with my stories. And I was always dreaming about worlds, you know, like world building is one of the coolest things to do. And, um, well, somehow this world above the clouds, well, it sort of came into existence and, um, I really, really enjoyed writing it as well. And, and there's a difference between, to me, there's a difference between writing music and writing, uh, at least writing fiction, which is um, when it's 12 a.m. A.m. is in the night. What, 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 when, it's, when it's midnight and I'm tired, I can still play piano. I can still open Cubase and, and work on some music and um, not being, uh, not having all the energy or concentration um, with writing, you have to be super, super sharp. You have to be very awake. You cannot write, you know, like, oh, I'm a bit tired. My, my, my eyes are closing. You have to be really, really sharp. And so that, that's sort of the difference, which ended up very well for me uh, because I could, you know, like, write in the morning fiction, um, write on my novel, and then uh, switch to writing music. And so the later in the day, the more music it, musical it, it, it got and the earlier, the, the, the more um, I wrote or you know, like words. <laughs> so with like a, 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 um, a cup of coffee, you start your day, it's writing. Yes. And when does it worn out? Is there like a specific time where you're like, okay, I think, or is, is it really depending on the inspiration? It, it's really depending on the inspiration. Uh, but sometimes I just, I had days I could write all day. And sometimes I'm just, you know, like an hour and I've got two paragraphs. And I know, no, I should be doing something else. This isn't productive. You you have an, uh, a way to uh, write or translate the emotions that you have within. And you chose a lot of words in the beginning and you chose music to express that will it always stick there will it always be that or will you become a dancer or a singer <laughs> as well <laughs> so for a composer i have a ridiculously bad musical ear <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> i cannot sing so that will not uh be the case um i don't dance every time i dance there's people snickering around me and 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 
shaking their heads like no no it no, does no. evoke an emotion so yeah yeah <laughs> and i i do like to dance when i'm on when i'm on my own but i, I know you, you used to make dance music so I, I i can imagine you like to dance yourself i have my moments where i uh, bust out a move yeah 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 <laughs> yeah I, I i i do that when i'm just like by myself but not with others and and also um i'm relatively tall and i was tall at a very young age and i remember at high school parties i uh, you know like i was this hat, i was a head taller than than most other people <laughs> and if you are on the dance floor right then you are very conscious of yourself you you feel you know like everybody's looking at me yeah. and that, that you, that really <laughs> doesn't help in you know like losing yourself in the music i can lose myself in music but in different ways yeah and uh since you are hitting multiple disciplines in the creative fields like i have many people around me they depending on different ages they are still looking for that passion it seems like that you have figured out something to unlock that and also really translate that in an action and translate it in a book or translate it in an album or a piece of music or I'm even now working in, on a game <laughs> a new one yeah and, and and translating it into really manifesting in reality what would your advice be to people really struggling in finding their passion try as many different disciplines as, as possible um you don't know if you like writing if you never tried you don't know if you like making music if you never try um you don't know if you like making music of uh, games if you, if you if you never try um it, it's, and, and this are can be fashion uh, uh, designing clothes uh, it can be you know photography uh, painting drawing whatever you have to discover what you like and obviously it's 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 maybe it's a bit simple but it's the very basic layer of discovering yourself is trying out so many new things and don't be scared away by the fact that the first time you don't succeed you have to learn things and especially if you love learning I, I love to learn when there is a program i don't know anything about that's to me that's a challenge i like that i i had to do you know like i had to learn after effects and and, and premiere pro to make trailers now i know how these the, 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 these programs work and i like to edit trailers but um you have to learn that so you have to take that first bump so to speak and then discover if you like it so it, it all boils down to really try try a lot of things try whatever comes your way and see if you if you like it and if you like it develop it because you are not this best painter the first time the second time you're a little bit better and then you're up bad. and even when you you know like yeah but i'm 40 years old i've never made music you're just 40 years old people become you know like 80 90 years old very easily nowadays so 
you have so much time to develop yourself and there's so much to to love about creating you know like you know that feeling you know, like you, you can get into that zone of creating music or, or writing or whatever and and everything around you disappears and you really you get this rush and that's such a magical feeling and like that it's 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 almost addictive you know like i, I get very cranky when i've got so many other things to do when i cannot work on music for a couple of days i get really cranky but that's because that's when i'm happy or when i write or when i you know like i'm designing and designing a game that's when i'm happy so i think creating uh, creating stuff makes you happy and yes sometimes it works better than other times and i've been blessed with the fact that i could apparently do different things to up in a fashion that other people say well that's that's okay people like the music or the book and i'm a bit rambling now but it's it's no, it's, it's, it's i like it <laughs> but again just try and to see where your passions are you have to it's it's a discovery and it's very important because you know like netflixing your life away <laughs> it's you know, like, it's not very rewarding in the end no it's not there there are some nice nice stuff on netflix uh, oh, definitely, definitely if you if you make a combination i believe that's always okay yeah uh, but if it's the only thing that you do then you should rethink yeah I, sh I shouldn't say anything negative about netflix because i first <laughs> of all i really love uh netflix and i know you, it, it's they, they they put your music on some of their oh, trailers yeah, yeah, so. true. <laughs> hey, but is it a fair statement to make that how to deal with failure is optimism i don't know I only know that that's my coping mechanism is you know like I'm I'm sort of rush into the next project not you know like blindly I've learned a lot but I'm so full of energy now for the next project and um you will always have to believe that the next thing you make is going to be this big hit and is going to reach uh, many people. You will, will always have to be uh, have to have a positive mindset. I mean, I've worked for uh, you know, like four or five years on the novel. I never knew for sure if I would be able to find a publisher. You know, maybe I would end up you know, like putting out an ebook that nobody would ever read. So you always have to believe that that's that in the end somebody will pick it up and in the end there will be some success. However, be financially wise <laughs> and uh, financially seen you should never believe in yourself. You should always think well this is this is going to crash. So <laughs> we need we need the money up front. And if it's going to crash then you didn't work for free because that's what a lot of uh, uh creators do nowadays they think uh, i'm 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 going to you know like have this really really low salary because in the end we will make a lot of money because get everything in 
because the music or the movie or the game is going to be a success. You never know. You really never know. And then the the other thing is, so the moment that you are in doubt, the moment that you are kind of having to deal with failure, like how do you stand up from that? How do you motivate yourself? Or maybe do you have people around you to push you forward to find that optimism again? Is there a method that you use? It's uh, not really. Um, it's part time. So time makes uh, the sharp edges disappear. And uh, it's, yeah, it's sometimes people in your environment trying to, you know, like, talk it down a bit. You know, it's not the end of the world. There's always worse things. Yeah. And sometimes it's just you know, like um having it it's it's it it can be a, a sort of a, a grieving process. You know when we were suddenly faced with the reality that the game we worked on for five years wasn't going to be a success wasn't even going to be a modest success um that was it, it it took a while to put that into perspective to give it a place and i'm not really sure if i'm still completely over it i probably will never but the severity of of that negative feeling you know like subsides and it subsides way quicker when you have something new and shiny where you can, uh, you know, like... Put all the focus on. Yeah. And so so I managed now to turn the negativity in, into some sort of, you know, like pool of uh, energy and, and, yeah, yeah. and optimism for the next project. I always look at the past, even if it's negative or dark or... But it always, over time, it turns into, I can only see the positives. It's, uh, it's, I, I just take the, the negative just float away in me and okay. everything that happens, like I just get, it, it's like extreme optimism. Okay. So I always look at the past as like, ah, actually this might, it might be actually a very good change of events that brought yeah. me here. Yeah. Well, the problems with your first game translated into you know, like a better second game. Yeah. For example. And when my next project is going to be a success. I I know for sure I will be very. Uh, uh, I, I will think back much more positively on the whole Unexplored Two experience yeah. because I've learned so much from that development and everything that we went through. Uh, if I'm going to be successful with my next game, it is partly because of what we went through with Unexplored Two. But I'm not there yet. We went sort of the the other way around. We got up from a very successful first game, and then the bigger sequel crashed and burned, so to speak. So um, that's that that maybe the first one shouldn't have been that much of success. That you know, like the second would have been better or, or whatever. But I, I, I can completely understand what you're saying. But to me, um, yeah, well. It's still the journey. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm still in the journey, yeah. yeah. 
as we all are. <laughs> but it's, uh, I, I think it's a very, very honest thing to share. And it's something that uh, the people are listening in and they're maybe uh, game consumers or people that play ga play games uh, um, because they're composers and they, and they need to listen to this. Um, it's, it's sometimes a perspective that hasn't been shared. I think it's been shared way too, way too few. Less few, something in that. that well, well not enough, <laughs> not enough. No, this one of the worst movies about game development is, uh, I think, called Indie Game the Movie. Yeah. Because all of them ended up, you know, like being this huge million seller success. It's ridiculous. That is not your average uh, game developer. Yeah. And I remember, you know, when we started with a game development magazine in the Netherlands, we had these uh, this duo called Flambeer and this indie duo, and they were crazy successful. Uh, but those were two, you know, like once in a generation uh, talents, and they got together and they made each other better, and then they were in you know, like uh, th th they were winning. Apple Design Awards and stuff like that. And then a lot of other young indie developers thought that that was the way to go. So they, they skipped school and stuff like that. And in the end, it, it took a while for a lot of people to discover, well, that duo is, an, is the exception. The yeah. rule is eating ramen f noodles yeah. for three years. Putting some holes in your underpants and... Uh, continue for a few years yeah and end up with something that nobody buys yeah i i think that's that nowadays like social media in general and with the new generation uh if you if you really look at uh, people see kind of the result of somebody and people see the success of something it's the um it's the last part in the process uh compared to somebody's beginnings yeah. and and if you see a TikTok, for example, you see probably for a lot of young people, they see, yeah, just with a few dance moves, I can make millions. Why would I do a 40, 40 hour work week? Yeah. So there's this whole disconnection between what is reality and what is the exception. But the exception is of course sold because for programs like TikTok or an Instagram, they want creators. So they want creators to believe in the yeah. success yeah. story because that makes people create and the yep. more people create, the, the bigger the companies will become. So of course they want the narrative to run like, oh, you have the chance to be successful. Then again, this is the exception and the exception is used to sell you to make more content. I think it's uh, that's a very interesting perspective, uh, especially for, for young people, this is going to be an issue because they really only see successful people because you know, like, they're watching TikTok and YouTube all day. And probably the big channels and the big channels. The ones that are popping up and being recommended. Yeah. And yeah. some are smaller, which is great in the algorithm, but most of them are already over <laughs> millions of subscribers. And but also if you look at the game development community. Yeah. Um, we've got this great channel. I I th they make a documentary. No clip. No yeah. clip, yes. But every no clip documentary is on a successful game. Yeah. And I would love them to make um, a documentary on failed projects because they 
may even be more interesting as well, but there's so much you learn from failure, probably much more than you know, like looking at oh, okay, yeah, they 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 succeeded in it, in it, but that that was you know, like I don't know what parts of that I can learn, but yeah. these mistakes I now am aware of and I may be able to avoid. The hoax of the success story. It's a uh, it, it it is the truth. In, in that case, and it's always, if you use it as an example, like, hey, this is how they did it. Not saying that you can't, but it's uh, it can be a trap. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. no, I agree. I think sometimes the, the story of failure, like I tried 10 times and it didn't work out. Um, it, it's not so inspiring, maybe, but it is very truthful. It's it's what's, what's to the bigger part of people starting companies, trying to be musicians, maybe game makers, uh, even painters have like it's the yeah. bigger part that don't reach that moment of success. Yeah, I I remember uh, when we did control conference, so this game development conference in the Netherlands, we had um, a guy who thought he was going to be very successful. He had his group from uh, a university and they they made this game and they won best student game and then they found a publisher and then they were featured everywhere and then the game launched and it crashed way harder than on Explore 2. And he ended up with a a personal debt of, you know, like 50,000 euros or something. And he was very young when that happened, something like 25 years old. Um, But he did a talk on that. He did... Uh, I think it was titled, My Game is uh, at uh, 33 uh, on Metacritic. Hmm. And the room was packed. And we made a recording of it. And it, uh, that video has been viewed uh, tens, if not a hundred thousand times. It was somehow so inspiring to listen to someone being very honest about what went wrong and maybe why. And... I've always felt there is there is a certain hunger among uh, game developers for those stories about failed projects, and um, yes, you know, like I did, I tried ten times and it never worked. Isn't very um, uh, inspirational, but somehow some of these stories can be inspirational, can be you know, like. But now we know how not to do it. So let's do it this way. Let's try it that way. Yeah. It's, it's also easier that if you have these rougher points and then you push on and it becomes successful, then it's easy to talk about the moments that it wasn't because now you are already at that different position. You're already on top again of that mountain. Yeah. yeah. So then to talk about the moments that it went down is easier, but the moment that it's down and you're like, okay, these things are looking quite dark. Uh, I think that is very difficult for people to even engage in a in a conference and say, I, I, I have no clue how to be here. Yeah. So I think that's a, a logical way why, why not everybody will be there. It's like, yeah, but I, I didn't do it. I probably gonna exit the industry. Yeah. So why would I share my story? Fair enough, fair enough. But but I still Again, think the, it's very useful for yeah. people to to know those stories. Yeah. At least to bring it in perspective in the reality of things. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything that uh, you have all these uh, aspiring uh, composers, uh, creatives that are listening in? Uh, you are hitting 
multiple industries by creation, what kind of tip would you give them if they are wanting to enter the entertainment industry? What what is what would in inspire them? It, it depends. Um, I always say if you want to make music for games, it's it's a very packed world. You know, like there are many, there are more great game composers than game projects. So be aware of that and be very, very good. Know how good your music is. If it isn't up to certain standards, try again, become better. But also, especially in an environment where you have, you know, like small studios, small budget, for instance, make sure that you can also do audio design for a game and i know a lot of people yeah it's a different discipline it is but it's to it's it it makes it easier for you to land a job because a lot of game directors or producers they want a one-stop shop solution um stuff like that so um make yourself an attractive hire um that's that's basically the gist of it even you know like with with writing if, if you don't have experience start your own project gain experience that way um i've never how how can i become you know, like a game writer when i'm never even ever hired to write a game create your own little project it can be very simple but write for that project and 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 publish it give it away for free make sure that you have something to show for and that that is thank you i, I think that's the most important bit like um, make yourself an attractive hire by having a portfolio even if it's not uh, you know like published by a professional studio or whatever and you know like try and think about the people who are hiring you You know what you want. You want to make music, for instance. But what does the person hiring you want? They don't want to spend too much money, but they want great music and they want to be able to communicate with you, stuff like that. And don't lose yourself in that uh, uh, process. Always know what you want, but also try and, and sit on the other chair. Try and... Uh, imagine what they want from you. I think that's important as well. I think that's very practical and good advice. I think we should invite you another time. I think we'll, <laughs> there's way more we can discuss. But I um, I have to conclude it here. Um, Matthijs, thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Uh, thank you for your perspective and your honest approach in things, sharing kind of also your roads, the struggles a little bit here and there. Um, for the people that are living in the Netherlands, definitely check out Het Verdwenenwoud. Uh, of course, with your uh, artist's name, yeah, you yeah, X Dyer. Yeah. Hey, can you say maybe something about that? You change your name a little bit. Yes, yes. Uh, because obviously we have, have we I want the book to be published in uh, America sooner or later. Yeah. And when I was talking to my Dutch publisher, he said, "Well, Matthijs is going to be a problem." And I know that because I've met many English people, uh, English speaking people, and they always struggle with my name. You know, Mitigis is something that the <laughs> Mangles. Like. 
and and then my last name is it's even hard for Dutch people. It's 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 ridiculous. So we came up well, well the publisher came up with the idea to sort of mix and match uh the the, the letters and uh move the X from my real name to the middle and but the etc. And so Matthew X Dyer yeah. uh, came into existence. And the idea is that um it's um it's gonna make things easier internationally and it's uh, uh and it's still close to my actual name it's making also a distinction between you as a composer and you as a writer and that's also a, a different thing because if uh, people are googling my name i want actually i want them to um see my music and if they um Google, you know, well, Matthew X Dyer, they need to end up with the, with the novel. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I thought that would be a bigger issue than it is because a lot of people really like that I do and music and novels, uh, but it's, it's, it helps. It helps. Because some, sometimes you can just be, you know, like Matthijs, composer, and sometimes you can just be Matthew, the author. And then we'll discover a new match who that's being the dancer. But we'll see about that in a few years. <laughs> now, thank you, uh, Matthijs, Matthew. Uh, Dierks, indeed, there's a lot of letters uh, behind each other. I can yeah. understand. Now, but thank you for, uh, thank you again for sharing. Thank you for having me. We will um, probably invite you another time to dive deeper in some other interesting things, also about a conference. And I love to hear more about like how you even organize something like that like getting 10 years older in two months <laughs> okay for now i want to thank you for listening in and see you next time bye-bye hey thanks for listening to hunchback talks if you like this podcast make sure to follow it and share it with your friends if you want to find out more about hunchback music what we do as a company and our composers make sure to check out the links in the description of this podcast to our website and our socials we hope you enjoyed this episode and stay tuned for more episodes in the future